lesson series, this teaching series is called The Soundtrack of the Season, and I've got a video that I'm going to be sharing with you. It's a little longer uh, in the video and a little shorter in the message, so let's check it out. Today is O Holy Night. Most of us spend all of our lives listening to the same songs from the day after Thanksgiving until about December 26th every single year. Our new favorite artists simply revisit the same songs over and over and we don't even get tired of them. But rarely do we think about where these songs came from, their backstories, or about the deeper meaning behind them. Many of these songs of the season point to powerful theological insights and practical lessons that can deepen us or even bring us joy in the midst of the Christmas season. So let's look a little deeper into some of the famous Christmas carols that you know and love. O Holy Night by Placide Capio. In 1847, a parish priest in France asked a local poet from his hometown to write a poem for the Christmas Eve service that was coming up in a few weeks. That man was Placide Capio, and he was not exactly considered pious in his hometown, but he took the opportunity to write that poem for the local church mass very seriously. Taking inspiration from Luke chapter 2, he wrote a poem entitled Pantique de Noel, the lyrics that we now know as the Christmas carol, O Holy Night. Placide was immediately struck with the feeling that his poem was not simply a poem, but instead was destined to be a lyric to a yet-to-be-written song. So he thought of a friend, a man named Adolphe Charles Adam, and contacted him to ask that he write a melody that he could pair with his poem. A talented musician in his own right, Adolphe Charles Adam was a man who did not even celebrate Christmas. In fact, he was a Jewish man. So in a strange twist of history, one of the most famous, beloved, and divine Christmas carols in our history was written by two men who were not known to be men of great faith. And yet the words to the Christmas carol, O Holy Night, captured the hearts of a generation of French people who, despite the organized church's efforts to bury the Christmas carol because of the two authors and their backgrounds, would not allow the beautiful song to slip into obscurity. Most know its first verse very well. It says, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. About a decade later, a Unitarian minister in the state of Massachusetts was forced to step down from his pulpit and his position leading his congregation. The man, a man named John Sullivan Dwight was struggling through what we would now consider to be severe panic attacks, and it was preventing him from pastoring. But looking for a way to continue to help the cause of Christ, John Sullivan Dwight began publishing a periodic journal that he would mail to subscribers entitled 
Dwight's Journal of Music. It was his hope to introduce people to brand new songs that were being written in the modern time that he was living in. Dwight's was an era where new songs had very little ways to be known to everyday ordinary people. These were the days well before radio, television, and many of the other modern ways of communicating were even a hope or a dream. In looking for a new song for his publication, John Sullivan Dwight came across the French Christmas carol, Pantique de Noël, or O Holy Night. And as he translated its lyrics from French into English, its words jumped off the page. Being an ardent abolitionist in the pre-Civil War North, the carol spoke deeply to his own beliefs, specifically the third verse, which is the lesser known, but yet incredibly powerful. It says these words, Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we, let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, O oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim, his power and glory evermore proclaim. While this story alone would make O Holy Night an interesting backstory, O Holy Night holds a much, much larger place in human history after what occurred in the Christmas season of 1906. That was the year that a man named Reginald Fessenden, a 33-year-old former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, decided that he would try something that had never been tried before. At that moment in history, radio towers transmitted radio waves, but they were thought only to be able to convey telegraph messages in Morse code. In other words, in 1906, Morse code messages were the only things that were riding the radio waves. But all that changed when Fessenden decided to try to use something called a microphone and pair it with the radio transmitter that he had to capture the human voice and broadcast it over radio waves. And so for the very first time in human history, on Christmas Eve in 1906, Reginald Fessenden opened the transmitter and spoke into the microphone. His voice suddenly speaking into silence, he reached radio towers on all the ships at sea, people in newspaper offices, and those sitting in communication stations who would nightly await Morse code messages. In what must have seemed like an absolute miracle, instead of dots and dashes, all of the radio operators and those nearby them heard these words. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all of the world should be taxed. Fessenden read those immortal words from Luke chapter 2 and many more, telling the birth of Jesus Christ. So the first live voice radio transmission ever sent was the good news of Christ's birth straight from the scriptures. Fessenden then completed his words and picked up his violin and began to play the first song ever to be broadcast over radio waves. The song he had chosen to play, O Holy Night. The Christmas carol has remained in our lives ever since. And from its humble birthplace in a French town, 
to crossing the Atlantic Ocean to a group of people fighting against the tyranny of slavery in the United States. It continues to hold an exalted place in technological history as well as in our hearts. O Holy Night continues to inspire and challenge us, all of us, to fall on our knees in reverence before the way that God's Son came into the world that needed Him desperately. And in the same way that the silence of the airwaves were changed because of a Christmas carol, God Himself broke through centuries of silence when He sent His Son as a baby at Christmas time. And that truly was a holy, holy night. All right. Well, how many of you learned something new today? Uh, wasn't that awesome? What an incredible story. Um, I just want to apologize to my Haitian friends over here who actually speak French and heard me trying to say things in French. I was just like, oh no, they're here and listening to me trying to just give me at least a C. Is it at least a C? C minus? <clears throat> Love y'all though. It's all about grace. You know what I'm saying? Sabrina, I see you over there, girl. She's like, <laughs> I'm going to need, yeah, I'm going to need a couple of new batteries if you don't mind. Um, let me just begin and just say, I'm going to hit this quickly. Get ready, Colin. I may end up having to jump around and all that stuff. We know the nativity scene. We know that Jesus is at the center. But the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes when we look back on the the scriptures and what they're doing, we don't grasp it the way that they grasp it because we see Malachi to Matthew or Malachi to Luke as being something that just kind of happened from one to the next and there's no real delay. But the truth of the matter is, is that there were about 400 years that transpired from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the things that were going on in the New Testament, which begins... Luke chapter 1 is the earliest recorded thing that happens because it goes all the way back to even before Jesus was born to when John the Baptist was being promised and being brought on the scene, um, and that was an important thing. So as this stage is being set, let me just kind of share with you and show you what the stage, how the stage was being set here. Let's go back to slide number three. Uh, the, the angel Gabriel... Um, yeah, slide number four, I'm sorry. <laughs> the angel Gabriel visits Zachariah and Elizabeth, or as we call them today, Zach and Liz, you know, just to keep it, foretelling the birth of JTB. Y'all know who JTB is, right? Just trying to keep it hip, y'all. I'm trying my very best. The angel Gabriel visits Mary, foretelling the birth of Jesus. And so, the same angel visits not only Zechariah and Elizabeth talking about the birth of John the Baptist, but the angel Gabriel visits Mary foretelling the birth of Jesus. And then over in Matthew, you will see that an angel of the Lord visits Joseph foretelling the birth of Jesus. Now, we do not know if that was the same angel, but it's possible, but we don't know that for sure. Let's go to our next slide if you don't mind. And as we see, whenever that angel did show up, there was doubt in Zechariah's mind. 
And so as you look at this passage of scripture, you see that Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure that I'm going to have a son? I've been waiting and there's no son that's been given. I've been, you know, living with a wife that I believe to be barren. She's an old woman. How will she possibly bear a child? Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you, to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. Would you guys say that word silent with me? Ready? One, two, three. Silent. Now you will be silent and not able to speak until this, the day that this happens because you did not believe my words. And then on the next slide, we'll see the end of this scripture, which is going to come true at their appointed time. And meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah outside of the temple where he was offering sacrifice and incense and wondering why he was staying so long in that temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they realized that Zechariah had seen a vision in the temple for he had kept making signs to them, but remained unable to to speak. This is a microcosm of God's silence for 400 years. And if you've ever really stopped recently, or if you've ever been out in the country recently, sometimes it is almost deafening how quiet it can be. And we city folk, because I mean, let's be honest, we're city people. We're close enough to Houston to hear it. And if the wind blows just right, you know, we can smell Pasadena from here. Can I get an amen, right? You understand what I'm saying? So ultimately, we're so close to the city that there's always some amount of hum going on. But what's happening here is, in a microcosm, God is showing them what it sounds like when he stops speaking. And like the third grade teacher who would stand next to her desk and not say a word, and the class would go from a roar to a whisper because of the silence of the teacher. This is what God is doing to grasp his people's attention and focus them on what he's about to do. Are you guys with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying here? And so as we look here, God is grabbing their attention. And in a microcosm, he's doing the very same thing with the man, Zachariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, who eventually become pregnant. Mary, the one that we know as Jesus' mother, comes and visits her. She's a, a relative, a cousin. John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. And so they, they get together, they commiserate, and they talk about how there's some miraculous things going on in her life as well as hers. John the Baptist is born. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about today. But I want to just make sure that you guys understand. In the same way that O Holy Night pierced the darkness and invaded the silence, God did the same thing by sending his son. But first it began with a child that was prophesied to be born. The 400 silent years were ending and God was going to start speaking again when he had his people's attention. But in the process of it all, God is still instructing and still drawing us back to him. Very quickly, here's our something to learn. 
the Old Testament ends with Malachi, and it's 400 silent years later. The Greek empire comes and goes. The Persian empire goes off the scene. And then that word, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, and we understand that Caesar is a Roman ruler. And so we know all of this stuff is happening. Time is going by, and people are living lives living and dying, marrying and burying and all of the things that go on with that stuff. And then God speaks when he has been quiet on the grand scale for 400 years. But can I just say something? It's pure speculation on my part. Pure speculation on my part. But here's what I believe. I believe that God speaks to every single one of us in one way or another. And I don't necessarily know that when God speaks to me, it would ever be deserving to go into a, into a Bible or into the canon of Scripture or anything like that. But I will tell you that I know that God has spoken to me, and He has spoken to me in a way that even if I could not prove it, you could never talk me out of it. Can I get an amen on that? Do you, any of y'all had that experience where you have been spoken to by God's voice that he's reached out in some way, even if it weren't on a grand scale, but it was enough for you to know that God was breaking the silence so you could be drawn close to him. And that is our big idea. Very quickly, this is our big idea, that God uses silence to call us to return to him, that God uses silence to call us to return to him. And I just want to say this very quickly. I don't think that I am overstepping my bounds if I said that every single one of us at one time or another has felt as if God has been silent in our life. At one time or another, whether we felt like it was because of us or if somehow we couldn't figure it out but God is, just seems more distant than ever before, we've felt like he was silent but rather than using that silence to show his contempt for us, what God is trying to do is get us to return our full attention back to him. Because we all know and we've all experienced that it's real hard to stay focused on the right things. And even when we want to, it's difficult to follow through with the things that we want to do. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. And so if you feel in any way, shape, or form that maybe God feels silent and distant, it's not because he dislikes you. It's because he wants you to give away those things which you've replaced and placed in front of him and clear those things away and give him your fullest attention. That's what he's doing. He's calling for you to return to him, and he's doing it in silence. Very quickly, um, let's go ahead and do our big idea again on slide number 10, if you don't mind. I try to do a lot of slides so you guys will visually you know, get something, but here it is again. God uses silence to call us to return to him. Would you guys say it on the count of three? Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. God uses silence to call us to return to him. Very good. Now, how does that play out? These are ways that it plays out. And we go to this next slide. Often we know better, but we ignore the silence. It's meant to gain our attention after he has already been drowned out or latered. Now, I'm not saying you say to God later, you know, but he moves in your heart and know that you should be doing something and you say, yeah, I will, God, because you are God and I plan on doing that. I just don't plan on doing it right now. I'll do it later. I know none of y'all have ever latered God, 
None of y'all have. <clears throat> Neither have I, right? We've all latered God. God, we will, but just later. And when we do that, God doesn't need to tell us something to do again. He needs us to go back and be obedient when we latered him, you know? Often we can be experiencing a dryness of the soul even when we have an abundance of things and entertainment and noise in our life. But it's still, I mean, it's like the experience of being entertained 24-7 and still being bored to death with the life that we're living. Don't tell me that I'm the only one. You've been there. You know what I'm saying. And it's a dryness of the soul that reminds us that we're built for more than just simply getting by and having a good time. That there is more for us to live by. I am moving. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. So when God feels silent, I'm just going to hit these and keep them going quickly. When God feels silent, you go where you know that he speaks to you. That's unfiltered scripture and a trusted, uninvested friend who will tell you the truth. You begin to silence the other voices in your life, whether that's your schedules, your shows, your socials, on and on. I couldn't think of any other S's there, so, uh, but there you are, okay? It's those other voices in your life. How many of you know that your, your schedule sometimes screams so loud that you can't hear anything else? Can I get an amen? You've been there. And so we know that these are the things that can be other voices in our life. Let's keep moving. We got to stay faithful to what we know to be right. And here's what I want to just slow down just a tiny bit. Zechariah is suddenly a man who goes from being able to speak and probably even earning his living by communication as a priest in the temple to suddenly being a man who cannot speak. And I even shared with you last week that it was hard to find writing material and paper and all of these different things in the ancient world. Can you imagine how difficult his life would have been going from being a man who spoke as many times and as often as he wanted and then suddenly not being able to speak at all? He did not become bitter with God. He did not say, I did not earn this. He did not say, you know what? I have the right to ask questions when you're going to invade my life like that. He stayed humble and realized that the life that he had and the life that he loved and the things that he was experiencing were all at God's hand. And sometimes we need to be reminded that God is at work in us and God is at work through us. And sometimes it is not always positive, but there is always something good that is coming out of it. And in this situation, Zechariah has to swallow what must have been a little bit of a bitter pill in a temporary situation to be able to be the light that God used him as. And we're going to see how that goes in just a minute. Let's go to this next slide here. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can this be? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. But then let's go over in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin whose name was Mary. How is this going to be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? How many of you have ever read Luke and realized that Mary gets away with the same question that Zechariah didn't get away with? It was unfair. It was unfair. Same angel, same question. One had a burden to bear in the moment, and one had a burden to bear for the rest of her life. You see what I'm saying? 
it's not always going to be equal. But let me ask you a question. You know Mary, the mother of Jesus, existed because of her willingness to submit to something that was going to be a sacrifice for her for the rest of her life. We know the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth as God breaks through the silence. We know this story even exists because of a willingness to accept the sacrifice and let God be glorified even if it makes it hard in my life. Sometimes that dryness of the soul is reminding you that an easy life, a comfortable life from start to finish, I'm just going to say it, is not worth living. Take that and think about it. You can disagree with me and I might be wrong. That's not what the Bible says. That's what I say. But a life that makes me comfortable from start to finish is a life far less and much less than God has called me to do with my life. He's called me to risk. He's called me to sacrifice. He's called me to pay for someone else's way because I have had my way already paid. You see what I'm saying? The problem for most Christians is we're desperate to make sure that we never get out of this comfortable lane. And so God doesn't ever show up in big ways because we will not make a sacrifice to allow him to use us in big and powerful ways. I'm just saying. Well, all right, don't miss this. Don't miss this. God trusted his servants to be a part of the Christmas story, but it demanded sacrifice on each of their part for Christ's benefit. It happened to Zechariah. It happened to Mary, it happened to Joseph, it happened to the wise men, and on and on and on you could go. Every single one of them were called to make a sacrifice to be a part of the Christmas story. And yet, we still talk about them every single year and remember what they did. Let's go to our next slide. Very quickly, when God feels silent, forth, you look to be a blessing, not just receive one. Let's go to our next slide. This is what I'm saying here. If you go back and you look at what happened there in, in Zechariah's story, basically this is what happened. He said, <laughs> the baby is born. John, uh, he is sitting there and he says, uh, the mother says, Mary, uh, pardon me, Elizabeth says, his name is going to be John. And all of the relatives go, that's not okay. He's not being named after one of his relatives. There's nobody in the whole family named John. You can't name him John. But the problem is, is that Elizabeth and Zechariah didn't name him. The angel already said his name will be John. And so they turned to him and they're like, are you cool with it? This is the New Texas version. Y'all follow me, okay? Are you cool with them naming somebody else? No. And he says, somebody get me some of that rare paper and pen. And he writes, his name is John. And the moment that he writes the words, his name is John, his mouth is suddenly able to speak. And everybody is in astonishment. They can't figure out why he named him that. They can't figure out what happened for him for that nine months of time. And suddenly he can speak when he's obedient. And they, they're just blown away. And they begin to say, according to the passages in Luke, what manner of child is this going to be? And what is his life going to be like? Because God is clearly at work in this thing. And can I say again, it's sacrifice that calls attention to what God is doing in our life most of the time. 
And if you're willing, God can use you and use me in amazing ways. But you've got to let him break through the silence that he seems to have and step into your life and change the course and change the direction in every way possible, comfortable for us or not. He's not worried about that. He's worried about making an impact in you and through you. That's it. Very quickly, how well do you hear God's voice in your life? And what is the biggest voice in your life right now? And I put a couple of things there underneath that. Maybe it's the schedule. Maybe it's other people. Maybe it's you. Or maybe it's media or something else. I I know I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I know that those things pull for my attention. They probably pull for yours as well. Okay, very quickly, here's how you apply. What can you do to hear God's voice more in this season? Maybe it's a practice you need to begin, a commitment that you need to renew, or a return to something that used to give you the opportunity to hear God's voice more often. And then who is it in your life that you can be a blessing to, but you have not? I would write those down on those two notes there and just make yourself uh, aware that, yes, you can begin to do this and begin to be a blessing in this way. Okay, let's end this thing as we close it down. Okay, leave it right there. Don't go yet. How many of you guys know who a guy by the name of, um, I believe his name is Robert Kaczynski? Uh, no, no. That, l- let me just make sure I've got this. Yes, it's Robert Krasinski. How many of you know who Robert Krasinski is? Any of y'all? Not. <laughs> yes, you do. Of course. Of course. Okay. So, yeah. Here's, he's also known as, oh, he's that guy that plays on The Office. He, this is who it is right there. How many of you know who, oh, yeah, I saw one of you go, oh, yeah. I know who Robert Krasinski is. Now, I personally have a favorite Robert Krasinski, and it's not the guy who was dating Pam. Um, It's this guy, like in the 13 hours on Netflix, it's really good. He carries a gun, and he's buff. Like, that's why I like that version of Robert Krasinski. But if you didn't know, Robert Krasinski is those two guys, but he's also another guy. How many of you have ever heard of A Quiet Place? Have you all ever heard, uh, ever seen the movie? Y'all freaky horror movie people? All right, any of y'all? Okay, I've seen the movie. If you don't know what the movie is, here's here's the tagline. If they hear you, they hunt you. Dun, dun, dun. And the idea is, is that there are monsters in this dystopian land that hunt by sound. And so the entire movie is much more silent than you could ever imagine. There's somebody on the internet that claimed to be a subtitler for movies. Who knows if that's true or not. But they said about 900 to 1400 lines of dialogue in a regular movie. In a quiet place, there are 90 in 90 minutes. That means it's between 5 and 10% of what a normal movie would have as dialogue goes. It is striking how silent the movie feels. It's not a silent movie. And it's little scary, so just be aware. But ultimately, it is about the silence. And if you thought that you would hear Pastor Randy end a Christmas sermon by quoting Stephen King, I don't know what you were thinking, but here it comes. I'm literally going to quote Stephen King. You guys know who he is, I'm sure. He praised this film in a tweet saying, a quiet place is an extraordinary piece of work. Terrific acting, but the main thing is the silence. 
and how it makes the camera's eyes open wide in ways that few movies can manage. In other words, when things get quiet and silent, we begin to look out and lift our eyes from what we've been focusing on and begin to pay attention to what God might be doing in our world and in our heart. And the 400 silent years and those months of Zechariah being silent, they were a microcosm, and it is for us, and it is still yet true that God's silence is calling us to return to him and put him once again on the throne in our life. And as God steps out of eternity and into a manger, don't forget, he broke the silence for you and for me so that we might be reunited. So let's bow our heads in prayer as we close. And I don't know where you are. Just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. But if by chance you are a person who says, you know what, I'm going to be honest with you. I, even in this Christmas season, it has felt a little bit like God was silent and distant. And I just want to return to where I can hear his voice. If you feel that way, if that is where you are, will you just simply take just a moment and pray and seek the Lord at this time and ask that he would break through that silence and reach to you and give you ears to hear from him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God and that you are the true north of our life, that as we place ourselves in your path, that we begin to have all of those things, meaning and purpose and joy and fulfillment that come along with it. But Lord, make us willing to be people who were sacrifice so that your kingdom might come and your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.